ask you this. Let, let, let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central. Chicago Sports Conversation with Adam Hogue. Go, go, go. This is Sports Central. On demand and streaming live on WGNRadio.com. Welcome in. Happy opening day. This is Sports Central. Ooh. Now it's really opening Ooh. day. Ooh. Ben Anderson, our producer. That's what's up right there. Switching things up a little bit. I heard the record scratch. I thought we were going to have a DJ in here yeah. or something, you know? Uh, DJ Ben. <laughs> Andy Mazur's in here, too. My name's Adam Hogue. It is Thursday, March 29th, 2018. That means it's the start of baseball season, and it, it feels a little... It's raw different. <laughs> well, it just feels different being on a Thursday. There wasn't... Yeah, that's true. I was expecting there to be a game on last night, and there wasn't because you're just used to there being a baseball game now the night before opening day uh, on e- on e- ESPN, but they didn't do that. Nope. So, I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm glad it's four days earlier. I'll never complain about opening day coming earlier. No, and the players won't complain about having extra off days during a year, too, because it, it gets dicey, and especially this time of year with weather delays, and there's already been a couple of games canceled today. Yep. Uh, especially if you're playing an intra-division game outside of your division. You, th- these are games you have to make up, obviously, in September and August, and these things kind of wreak havoc with your pitching staff. Uh, and then you have to sacrifice your off days. So they're, they're happy as, as you know what to have a couple of extra days off. Well, you're listening to two-thirds of our pre- and post-team on WGN Radio. Uh, Mark Carmen makes up the final third, and uh, we'll be switching off post-games. Andy Mazur will have your pre-games throughout the season. First one coming up at 2.40 today on WGN Radio as the White Sox are in Kansas City. First pitch, 3.15, and I'll have the post-game afterwards. So wanted to bring in Andy for the full show today to, as we dive into opening day. We will check in with Kevin Powell, who's in San Antonio covering Loyola. We can't forget about the Ramblers with their incredible Final Four run. He is in San Antonio, so we'll check in with him in a little bit. And Ken the Hawk Harrelson joins us later on in the show, too. Speaking about weird things on opening day, mm-hmm. he's not calling the no, opening day. He's not. But he'll be in the booth, so to speak, because the media guide has his picture all over it. That's right. The front cover. It's the best media guide it's in all of baseball. It's absolutely incredible what they were able to do. But yeah, it, it's strange. Uh, you know, with uh, and, and no disrespect to to Jason Benetti, I think he does a great job, but it's going to be weird for uh, hardcore fans to tune in and not hear Hawk on opening day. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's 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 a little. That's part of the reason why I wanted to have him on the show today, so we can still mm-hmm. get a little yeah. Hawk in our lives on opening day, and he'll join us in a little bit. But um, yeah, with the well, let's start here with the. Sure. Uh, with our lead and the Cubs starting their season off in just a typical Cubs fashion these days yeah. with on the uh, first at-bat of the season. Orania to Hap and a drive to right. Go, baby! What were you saying, Jimmy? Yes, sir! Good! <laughs> oh, oh, my! That's unbelievable! The season has begun! <laughs> oh, this place, and it's full of Cub fans. And they are on their feet. Ian Happ, unbelievable stuff. And I believe that was the first at bat of the season in all first of baseball. First pitch, yeah. First pitch of the first season. First pitch of the season. That's great. Into the right center field bleachers. Ian Happ had an outstanding spring. And they were trying to figure out who's going to be the leadoff hitter. 
That was one of the biggest, one of the few, really, let's be honest, one of the few storylines mm-hmm. the Cubs had in camps with their entire team pretty much set and ready to go. But they had, I, I'm a big believer in having a table setter. I know Theo Epstein said at the end of the season that it's more of a luxury to have, it's not a necessity. I am a big believer that you need a guy that's getting on base. And I like that the White Sox are going with Yoan mm-hmm. Moncada with the way that he looked in the spring to set the table for them. And Ian Happ, you know, you don't have to hit a home run every time you go up there on the first pitch of the game, but that that <laughs> certainly doesn't hurt. It'd be nice, yeah. You know, I think the biggest question about who's going to lead off was where are you going to play this guy every day? And I think that uh, defensively, you, maybe you're not as strong in the outfield, but you're certainly stronger in your lineup when you have Ian Happ leading off. Um, it was a big question, obviously, with uh, fans of Albert Almora Jr., who think that you know he's going to be the guy that uh, can, can certainly win that center field job. We saw last year that he hit very well against left-handers and not so much against right-handers, although he was given more of an opportunity against left-handers. But, you know, it, it is kind of a luxury, but I, I will say, you know, this about table setters, and I, I kind of agree that in 15 and 16, they had the ultimate table setter in Dexter Fowler. And, I mean, the rest is kind of history yep. as far as they're concerned. And last year was a, you know, a pretty much of a down uh, a down season as far as, I mean, yeah, they won the division. They got back to the uh, National League Championship game. But there was a lot of uh, discord in that lineup just because you didn't know who was batting where when. It's now 5-4 to four in Miami, the Cubs uh, leading the Marlins in the fourth inning. We'll continue to keep you updated uh, on that for those of you who are listening live. For those that are listening a little bit later on in the day to the podcast, we did want to bring the Cubs in this conversation, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about both of the teams in town, Cubs and White Sox, best and worst case scenarios uh, for this season. And I, I guess the Cubs are a little bit easier to peg down because – Best case scenario is obviously the World Series. And then worst case scenario, I guess, would just be to have really abnormal years from a bunch of superstars where they just don't play up to their potential. Yeah, and pitching, once again. I mean, if the rotation that they assemble doesn't kind of hold up to what they thought it was going to hold up to, uh, that's that's an issue for sure. They revamped the bullpen a little bit. If that continues to be like it was last year, I mean, that's a worst case kind of a scenario as well. So it's uh, it'll be very interesting to see how the how that plays out in uh, in in 2018. You know, obviously they uh, they decided that they were going to put Hap at the top of the lineup, which I think is a good thing. You know, you're you're uh, going to kind of platoon Ben Zobrist and and uh, Al Mora. So uh, you know, I think that that's uh, the worst case would be pitching to me. Yeah, not and, working out. And for the White Sox. I- it's a little bit of a harder conversation. I'll I bring agree. I'll bring in some tweets that I because I solicited this question on Twitter yesterday. I'll bring in some of those a little bit later on. But um, you know, I, I like one of the responses I got, which was the absolute best case scenario would just be what the Cubs. I, I don't think the end result of of twenty fifteen mm-hmm. is fair, but. At least maybe the first half of 2015, where they were hovering around 500, yeah. they kept they kind of struggled to get over that hump. Eventually, they did it in the second half, and obviously, they ended up in the NLCS. I don't think that's realistic best case scenario for the White Sox. But if they can at least do what the Cubs did the first half of 2015, maybe just start to pull together a little bit earlier than people thought. That would be, and again, we're just saying best case scenario, right. not necessarily what will happen. I think that's the top end. Yeah, and I think best case scenario is that uh, two or three of the guys you're really focusing on, you know, Giolito, Moncada, you know, throw in their Davidson, throw in their Angle, the guys that have had pretty decent springs 
whether or not uh, they're able to continue on that upward trend. I mean, I think if, if two or three of those guys become what uh, the White Sox organization thinks they are going to be, I mean that that certainly is uh, that's that's the best case scenario to me. I mean, if they if they play a little bit better than they even did last year, and it's tough because you know you have to figure now that uh, some of these young guys are coming up and they're going to be playing a full season as opposed to coming up in July or August or September when there's you know very little left in doubt as far as the division is concerned and a lot of pressures are are kind of off you. It's a whole different ball game when you walk on that field and you see the painting on the on the field where it says opening day and. You know you're part of a, a big ceremony there in, in Kansas City. Uh, things happen. Things can go a little haywire as far as young players are concerned. We've seen it happen before. Yeah. And, and uh, in terms of worst case scenario, it's uh, pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. It's just they're the, the plan's not working. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the big key, the big key pieces of this puzzle, just not coming together. Yeah. Um, you know, we can we can look at it on a kind of an individual basis. You know, there's three. They're starting with three young starters in the rotation, mm-hmm. and look, it's baseball. It's probably unlikely that all three of those guys are gonna you know pitch outstanding for the whole season. Ideally, you want one of them to probably elevate to top. Take that big step. Yeah, top of the rotation type stuff. And, and we're not even talking about Kopech joining this picture no. yet, which will probably happen at some point, but right now we're talking about Lucas Giolito, who looked outstanding in March. I had a chance to see him in person, and he was filthy against the Cubs and that day. And he got day. better and better as the spring went on. It was very impressive, and you hope that carries on to the regular season. And then, uh, you know, with Reynaldo Lopez and Carson Fulmer, it might not be uh, as obvious based on their springs that they can make that jump, but at times, we saw that stuff. Um, the the game I saw Lopez pitch, he looked pretty good. Uh, the game I saw Fulmer pitch, he looked pretty good. The rest of the spring was a little bit iffier, and so. But if that all doesn't come together for those guys, mm-hmm. that's the kind of worst case scenario stuff we're talking about. Yeah, and if you have to, you really have to kind of look at uh, spring for what it is, especially with pitchers, because there's outings. And I think we, you and I have talked about this before. You know, where you you get into situations where guys are working on one pitch. And one location, and that's it. And sometimes it gets hit, but they go out there and they continue to, to do it because that's what they're working on for that day. So, you know, numbers for pitchers and outings for pitchers sometimes are a little deceiving in spring training. You want to see guys getting in their work. You want to see guys getting stretched out to where they can go six or seven innings in their first start in the regular season. We're supposed to be checking in with the John Williams show, so I'm going to bring them up here and see... Guessing that John's not hearing us right now. He's waving to people on the street right now. Based on him talking about health care. So they wanted to check in with us. Who doesn't want to check in with us? Well, it's opening day, and and we got a big White Sox game on our station, Mm -hmm. so... So if they uh, if they want to talk to us, just let me know, Ben, and we'll we'll bring them back in. But right now we're we're talking about the Cubs and White Sox opening day situation and some of the best and worst case scenarios. And again, with the with the White Sox, the best case is that everything just starts. I I think it's best to just kind of look at things on an individual level more so than wins and losses. You kind of have to. It, it's the same thing, and I. I don't even know that I feel bad about doing this, but everything kind of goes back to the Cubs and their rebuild because we just all witnessed it mm-hmm. and it worked. And I think it's fair to use those as a comparison point. Go even further back to Kansas City. Kansas City yeah. did it the year before the Cubs did it. And you know, you, you develop guys like 
Ustakis and now Hosmer, who's gone, um, you know, Alex Gordon and those kind of guys that were coming up. And you kind of had to look at them on an individual basis, too, before they could actually become part of the, the team goal because you, know, you need to figure out where to put them in a batting order. And, you know, obviously you can say the same thing about the Cubs situation with Baez and Russell and, and the rest of those guys. You know, you know the one guy I think that everybody's kind of forgetting about and not forgetting about in a in a in a bad way is Tim Anderson because mm-hmm. obviously he had uh, a, a a season at the plate which rivals a lot of uh, which rivaled min, uh, very few uh, White Sox shortstops uh, under the age of twenty five or twenty six and forget about what he was dealing with you know personally the entire year and, and now he's getting questions in spring training about being being a leader. And watching him kind of develop into a leader is going to be something worth keeping an eye on as well. They did a they did an Instagram uh, series of stories yesterday during their workout in Kansas City, and Anderson was the guy running it. And yeah. you should have just seen the, the interaction that he had with every player out there on the field. It was pretty cool to see. And you need a guy like that who's kind of their peer but yet still somewhat their age to kind of say, hey, listen, guys, this is how we do things here. I talked to Tim Anderson in uh, in in Glendale, and I asked him, "Is all this does all this conversation and the stories being written about your, uh, you know, just being rejuvenated for after everything you went through last year and just kind of having a different mindset? Is it being overblown at all?" And he said, "No, that's all real." Mm-hmm. And he. It was a very real conversation I had with him, and and he said, "No, that is all legitimate." Um, and he just with all that stuff going on, it's hard to show up at the ballpark every single day and grind through what it takes to the focus you need to mm-hmm. go through a baseball season. So it seems like he has that back. He ended the season on a nice note, and he can hopefully carry that into um, the beginning of this season because he is, you're right, he's a huge piece of the puzzle that cannot be forgotten. And playing a very valuable position in the field, shortstop, and also with a valuable position in the batting order, and with the ability to, to have some pop, you know, and the other guy, I think that uh, just based on spring training, and again, you can't get too crazy about numbers, but you can get crazy about um, at-bats and... Approach? Approach, good call. Thank you for having me. I think like, I know where you're going with this. And I'm going with Adam Engel on that because, okay. because, you know, obviously the center field that he plays is gold glove caliber. I mean, he's not there maybe yet, but... I don't know, he... You could have made the case yeah, that defensively he was the best center was, fielder in the game last he year. He was pretty good, yeah. <laughs> but a 166 batting average is going to kind of kind right. of take a little bit away from that. And I got to watch a couple of games uh, that we were broadcasting here on television. And to listen to uh, Jason Benetti and Steve Stone talk about uh, hand position and uh, you know just just the at bat itself and the and the stance and the ability now to go the other way and use the other half of the field that he didn't use at all. Uh, last year, people, you know, young guys get so locked into pulling the ball because they think that's the only time they can try to hit a ball out of the ballpark is by pulling it. And I was told by a very pretty good hitter, not the name drop, but Tony Gwynn told me in San Diego, a line drive to any field will play. I mean, you have a chance for it to go out of the ballpark if you hit a line drive. You can hit it to right center. You can hit it to left center. You can hit it down the right field line or left field line. If you hit the ball, it could go. So don't forget about that side of the field. You know, there's a lot of hitting coaches will tell you they can tell when a player is locked in when they're hitting with authority to their opposite field. Uh, so if it's a lefty left center field, if it's a righty right center field, because that means they're staying on the ball and they're getting good contact. That's why when Eloy Jimenez came up against the Cubs in that game, a oh, couple that right weeks center ago, field bomb, and 
just hits that pitch right to the opposite gap, I'm going, wow, that is just that is just natural hitting ability yeah. right there. That's that's what that is. That's all it is. He's trusting his he trusts in his approach, and and they, you know it, it helps that the kid is country strong. I mean, he's got muscles on muscles on muscles. That doesn't always mean you're going to hit. So you have to kind of combine approach, but he's pretty—he's a pretty confident hitter. I'll tell you what, the guy where I actually thought you were going with, mm-hmm. and Adam Engel did have a great spring, yeah. um, and I like the fact that he's getting the chance to start uh, the season with the with the club because there was talk for a little while there, but would it be Engel? Would it be Ryan Cordell? Right. And White Sox choosing to send Cordell to AAA to get at bats every day, which I think is a smart a, thing. a smart thing to do too. But I kind of thought you were going to go with Matt Davidson in terms of approach, yeah, because. Again, good spring, like the fact that he had a good spring, but more so than the numbers, I like the fact that he was spreading the ball all all over the field, too. He seemed to have a different approach, too, and was not trying to hit home runs every single time um, because a big thing for him, if he's going to stick... And and we saw some of that potential. Nice leap forward last year, but he just did not hit for average no. enough. And that's the big focus for him going into the season. He's the cleanup hitter today in Kansas City, and he's got to be able to do more than just hit the ball out of the ballpark. I saw that from him in the spring, and to me, that was really encouraging. Yeah, and it's just it's big when you know when younger guys start to figure out the fact again, like I said, that they can use the other field. And you know, sometimes situationally, you you have to use the other field. I mean, first and second with less than two outs, you're, you're taught in you know the, the very beginnings of little league to go to right field to try to advance the runner from second to third. Guys don't do that as much as they used to do it, but still, you want to be able to have that in your bag of tricks to know. Hey, listen, there's a scouting report that all this guy hits is inside pitches and tries to pull everything. Where do you think the pitchers are going to go this year? They're going to go away. They're going to go soft stuff away. They're going to they're going to challenge him to see if yeah. Can you get the bat on the ball, first of all? Are you not going to roll over and hit a weak ground ball to third base? Are you going to be able to poke one into right center field every once in a while? We have to play you honestly out there, and we have to pitch you honestly. If you really want to go with some kind of wins number or you know end result in terms of the entire season, mm-hmm. in, in terms of best-case scenario, I would say if the Sox can do what the Twins and Brewers did last year, and not necessarily the Twins actually made the wild card right. game, but just... I'm not even talking about that. Just be competitive, yeah. be around in the hunt. I would say that that's actually realistic too uh, for this team. It's it's interesting. We can just go through this opening day lineup. But Yoan Moncada leading off. All right. The thought is he's going to break out. Let's, yeah. This is the number one prospect a year ago. Yeah. He's not a prospect anymore. He is a, he is going to have his first full major league baseball season, and the the thinking there is. The expectation, the fair expectation, is that he breaks out into an incredible baseball mm-hmm. player. And if that happens, that's a piece of the puzzle right You're there. That's, that's right. part of your championship window. A huge piece of the puzzle. Avi Garcia, can he maintain what he did last year? That's a big question. Yeah. I don't think it's out. Of, I don't think it's out of the question. People forget he used to be one of the top prospects in baseball, and he's not thirty yet. He's twenty six. That's what I mean. It's not out of the realm of possibility that last year was not a fluke. It, it might actually be real because that's what he was supposed to do. I don't I don't know. We'll we'll find out pretty quickly here. But it that's a possibility. We know who Jose Abreu is batting third today. Matt Davidson, we just talked about him. If he figures out that approach, hits for more average and just power, he's not a superstar, but he's a decent player. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're talking about the first four guys in your order being pretty solid. Nicky Delmonico, more consistency, uh 
not the most outstanding left fielder you're you're going to see, but you know, hit, hit some had some nice hits last year, some big hits for you. Uh and Wellington Castillo behind the plate He's a pretty solid catcher. I mean, I yeah. think that's the best way to describe him. Defensively, he's got a great arm, and that's going to help you on the other side of the ball too to to be able to 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 stop teams running against you. I like that pickup. And then we talked about Anderson. I think Yomer Sanchez is just a, a again a really solid, solid player that does not hurt you. And if Adam Engel can figure it out again, it's opening day. That that's your lineup, and everyone wants to think optimistically on the first day of the season. Sp- I but, hope spring's eternal. But everything I just said, yes, that's all best case scenario. Mm-hmm. It's also realistic, though. It's not wishing for the moon. I don't no. think. And if all that comes together, that's probably more offense from this team than you were probably thinking. You know, when everyone was saying back in January or whatever that this is just a team that was going to be bad again. Yeah, you want tough outs in your lineup. You want guys that are not going to just be an easy an easy out. Uh, for another pitching, uh, pitching staff, but you know, I mean, the other things that uh, you know, forget about offensively. When you mentioned uh, Wellington Castillo, you know, he had a good reputation with the Cubs too for working with younger pitchers. And uh, every one of these younger pitchers, when they would come off the mound from a spring training game, there would be a question about you know what it was like to throw to Castillo. And to a man, they were all saying, "It's, it's a great deal to throw to a professional catcher who knows what he's do- who can kind of coax me through a game, who knows my repertoire, who knows what I'm supposed to be doing, uh, can help me if I'm if I'm flying open with my shoulder, you know, those kind of things." It's it's not underrated. I mean, you know, Narvaez and and probably Smith are a little better offensively, you would think, than you know than Castillo. But there's something to be said for being able to uh, to squat down behind home plate and have command of your pitching staff. You know, that very thing happened uh, at, at the game. The Sox played at Sloan Park that I was at uh, earlier this month. Giolito was pitching to Castillo for the first time, mm-hmm. and he went out of his way afterward to to. I mean, he was elated, yeah, uh, at, at how great it went. Uh, he only shook him off once, and in in that entire game, and he pitched outstanding. So that I mean, that speaks to your point that Castillo does have a great reputation working with pitchers and young pitchers, yep. and that is a, a big reason why I think Rick Hahn surprised some people when he went at, went out and got Castillo. But it, we we can't forget about the development of these pitchers and how important it is. And you like the fact that they're pitching to a veteran who's been through this. Yeah, and you get to a certain point in your in your rebuild and I know I know they don't like the word rebuild, but that's basically what this is. I mean, it's it was stripped down and it's it's trying to build itself back up. But there's come certain points where you have to say to yourself, "Okay, listen. I need to develop my pitching staff. What's the best way to do that? Do I mix in some guys like they did in the bullpen with Soria and Avilan and and guys like that?" Absolutely, because I think they can help watching a game in the bullpen with younger pitchers that are, are charged with, you know, getting outs in the middle of the game. They might want to be starters eventually, but you know, you need to figure out uh, how to get outs in critical situations, whether you're in the bullpen or whether you're a starter. So I think that's a, a that was a good start. How else do you develop a pitching staff? You you, you get a, a good catcher. You get a catcher that knows what he's doing. You have one of the better pitching coaches in baseball, uh, you know, and, and Don Cooper, who is not going to be shy around any of these guys for sure. He's going to let them know uh, what he thinks. But sometimes it comes better from a teammate, and a well-respected teammate like uh, like Castillo. Let's go back to the Cubs for a moment and just kind of discuss more of what's in front of them this season. I think everyone understands how good the team is. Um, it's impressive that they're – there's only four newcomers on the entire team, and they're all, they're all pitchers. Mm-hmm. One's, one is you, Darvish. So, yep. uh, 
and Brendan Morrow too. I mean, those, Steve Ciszek. These are impressive additions to what was already a good team. Uh, they're not going to. Uh, the The idea of the World Series hangover. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it's legitimate to a certain extent, just because of you briefly forget how hard it is to 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 do what they did mm-hmm. because they just did it. They should just watch the tape of Game Seven, right? <laughs> so, um, and then it's not just that they played so late into the season, which, by the way, they just did again. They yep. just have, have played in the World Series, but it's everything that comes after the World Series, and then before you know it, you're reporting the spring training again to do it all over again. It just re- it's a different feeling, and they're not going through that this time. So that hunger is back, and what we're talking about is just human nature. Yeah. It's completely understandable. So I think you add that motivational factor to a team that is already loaded, and there's no doubt that this team is, A, good enough to win the World Series, and anything short of that, it is a disappointment. Yeah, you know, and I love how the Astros were talking about uh, the fact that they won't have they won't have one. They have a good team. They're not going to have to worry about a, a hangover. Okay, but they also didn't take 108 years in between championships to win. They're also not pitching. They're not playing in Chicago, uh, which obviously is a, a better sports town. You know, let's let's call it what it is. I mean, it's a better sports town, and there's much more scrutiny on a Chicago baseball team than there is on an Astros baseball team. And yeah, they do have a good team down there, but I, I really legitimately think there was something to that. They did; they weren't challenged by it during the year of 2016 with 108 years. But afterwards, there were a lot of people telling them about it. You know what? You start to feel pretty good about yourself, and there's a lot more distractions in the off season than there probably needed to be. And yeah, last year was uh, you know if you can if you can categorize that as a down year, still win your division win your first round playoff game and go to the National League Championship Series. I think you consider that a you know acceptable for a lot of teams. Right. It, I find the um, the pitching to be interesting this year. Mm-hmm. They, they I I love the Jose Quintana trade. We, we talked about it so much last season and honestly I was talking about it for 2 years leading up to it and how much sense it made for both teams. I I really do believe it's going to be one of those trades that works out well for both teams. Maybe the long term the White Sox end up with two great pieces out of it. Yeah. Um, but the Cubs, for what they are right now, needed a reliable starting pitcher. Under control, too. Under control for not a whole lot of money, and it worked out great for them. Um, and then they add, they go out and add you Darvish, which we didn't necessarily know was going to happen, right. but a great addition. I find the John Lester thing to be interesting this year because I see a guy who is just starting to run out of gas a little bit in his career. A lot of innings. And... Again, we're not overreacting the opening day, but it is opening day, and he did pitch today. Mm-hmm. Three and a third, seven hits, four runs, three earned, three walks, struck out two. Not the best start to the season no. for John Lester. Again, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be good this year, um, but I do find him to be a key piece as the Cubs try to hold on to this thing, and the rotation I think is going to be under scrutiny throughout the season, and if John Lester isn't pitching well, then all of a sudden that becomes a, a big need all of a sudden that you, you know, you're kind of hoping to still have him for at least one more year here. Yeah, depth is the key for that, and I think that the, the Cubs feel as though they have not even just five. They probably have six guys they could go to in a rotation. You know, with Mike Montgomery being the other left-hander. You know, with kind of long relief in the bullpen. So that I'm sure that if that becomes an issue during the year, they're going to go to that six-man rotation like they did a little bit in 2016 to kind of give guys a start off here, a start off there. 
And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination right now that John Lester is tired. It's the first game of the year. Right. But you come out of spring training, and there is that dead arm situation that affects guys either at the very tail end of spring training or the beginning of the season, which is why I think spring training is too long. Um, but having said that, you know, I think that he'll he'll rebound. But, yeah, I mean, he's not the guy he was in 2016. He, he's a little older. He's, he's, got, he's logged a lot of innings. All right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick timeout. We're going to come back and get a check of what's going on in San Antonio with the Loyola Rambers. Kevin Powell from WGN Radio is down there right now. was with Porter Moser and the Ramblers this morning. We'll check in with him, find out what's going on with them as they prepare for their big game against Michigan Saturday, and then we'll come back wrap things up with Hawk Harrelson joining us to get us ready for the White Sox opener. We'll be right back on Sports Central. All right, let's continue this love fest. There it is. It's Sports Central with Adam Hogue. No big deal. On demand <gasps> and in real time on WGNRadio.com. Adam Hogue, Andy Mazur here with you on opening day. Hope you're enjoying it watching the Cubs or the White Sox as we enjoy baseball being back in our lives. But there's a huge uh, basketball tournament going on. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called the NCAA ah, Tournament. Okay. And the final four teams, the teams that don't lose in the first four rounds, <laughs> they make it to this thing called the Final Four. And one of those teams is the Loyola Ramblers uh, from here in Chicago. I know it all seems very hard to believe that that's what's happening, but it is what's happening. <laughs> and Kevin Powell gets a nice trip down to San Antonio, where I've never been, but I hear, I hear it's a great town, Kevin Powell, and you're there with the Ramblers. I am. I haven't had a chance to explore yet. I got in late last night. I woke up and I came straight to the uh, Alamo Dome, and I haven't left yet. So hoping to see a little bit of the Riverwalk tonight. But uh, yeah, I hear nothing but good things. We we talked to both teams today. The Loyola story is the most popular one of the. Uh, of this tur- of the final four, the locker room was absolutely jam packed. It was difficult to move around. They put a picture on the Twitter, or Facebook, where it's pretty much gridlock uh, in their locker room. Michigan's was crowded too, but Loyola's is absolutely the story. Uh, but you do have some blue chip programs here, so that's kind of the interesting angle of it all. It's Michigan, Kansas, Nova, and 11 seed Loyola. Pretty wild. Yeah, I think if you probably look at this on paper and you think to yourself, okay, it's a Big Ten school in Michigan who's got uh, national championships to its credit, playing an 11 seed in Loyola, that it's a one-sided matchup. But I still contend, and uh, let me get your thoughts on this too, Kev, uh, that the 11 seed was way too low for these guys. I mean, I, I don't think they respected the Valley, and you and I both have little ties to the Valley, that I, I don't think they yeah. respected that that conference very much. No, they didn't, but they never really do. And the Missouri Valley continues to show that they do belong and that many mid-majors do. You look at what Missouri Valley's been able to do over the past, let's just say, 10 years. Look at the, the runs Northern Iowa's had, Wichita State. I know they're not in the conference anymore, but they've, they've done some damage, a lot of damage in the NCAA tournament and, and now Loyola. So, yeah, they're absolutely showing they belong. Michigan is, is, is approaching it the right way. They're saying the right things. Charles Matthews, who's a Chicago kid, St. Rita grad, um, you know, I asked him how 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 they match up. His, I basically asked him for his own scouting report of Loyola, and it, he just stared me in the eyes. He said, they're no Cinderella. They belong here. And I believe that when most of the Michigan players were saying that because when you do get these sorts of matchups, the, the favorite is always saying those sorts of things, right? Like, uh, we don't look at the seed. Uh, they're a good team. But I, I think Michigan, and I think everyone that's watched Loyola close to, and I know all of us have, I, there's not really a weakness. If they're going to get beat, it's going to come down to athleticism or or they go cold from the field, which they haven't really gone cold in a long time. They shoot 50% from the field, 40% from three. Um, 
So I think it's going to be a great matchup. I know they're about a five-point dog right now, but I wouldn't be shocked if this one goes down to the uh, the final buzzer. Kev, has, has Porter Moser addressed the... Look, here, here's the thing about the Final Four. It's just an enormous stage. It's it's just bigger. Uh, those those who have been to it understand it. And, and you're going from... Uh, I mean, first of all, Lowell is going from their own really, really small stadium. They handled right. it fine when they went to these bigger stadiums in the first couple rounds, but now you're talking about a football stadium, a raised-up court, the, the lights are brighter. Uh, there's actually, quite frankly... Um, uh, what what's the word? I mean, shooting can be a problem in these yeah, stadiums. Yeah, I mean, depth, I, I'm yeah. not just talking about a mental thing here, but there's, right. there's actually a right. physical yeah. thing you have to get over because the, the depth perception is different. But beyond that, just this, this is a brighter stage. And look, these Michigan kids haven't been through it either, but John Beeline has, if they have any experience um, with that. But this is, uh, I mean, has Porter Moser addressed that part of this? You know, a little bit. I mean, yeah, I mean, to your point, the figurative magnitude of it all, it's the final four, but the literal one, I think that was more like these guys are cool, calm and collected. I know it's cliche, but they really are. They were loose when we were talking to them. They were laughing. Clayton Custer's got a smile. He's, they're all kind of just having a good time and experience it all. Um, you know, they said the right things. I don't think they're going to be overwhelmed. I think to, I think for me, the bigger question mark was the actual li- literal magnitude of the venue they're playing in. And when you do go from a 5,000-seat arena in Rogers Park to 20,000 in Phillips Arena, but that's designed to be a basketball arena, and then now they're playing in a football stadium that's going to hold over 60,000, 65,000. So a lot of them said it did kind of take some getting used to today. They helped. Uh, practice this morning. We talked to him right after, and he, they said, you know, for the most part, after you get some reps in, you kind of feel out the court a little bit. They they kind of admitted that, you know, it is a little weird with some of the angles and the and the weird backdrops and things like that. But it goes both ways. They weren't too worried about it. They still have a couple more practices to get under their belt before Saturday night. So did uh, Porter Moser have the tape measure out? Uh, you know, measuring out the fifteen feet from the uh, from the baseline to the foul line, and did uh, did Bruno Skokna get on Cam Crutwig's shoulders to go to the rim? <laughs> I can't confirm that, but uh, today's practice was closed. We'll get an up-close look at them tomorrow morning when uh, when they ha- have an open practice in front of the media. So maybe maybe Porter's got something of his sleeve to put on a show for the press. You know, it, teams, when they go to uh, Williams Arena in Minnesota, will mm-hmm. actually practice sliding off the court safely. <laughs> Because, yeah. because I mean that's an actual it's a thing. Deal. Yeah, it's a thing. The raised up court. Yeah. Uh, well, but I know Bo yeah. Ryan would always take his guys in there, and especially the freshmen would have to practice how to fall off the court properly so you don't hurt yourself. Yeah, it's really weird. It's it's weird when you watch it on TV with the raised court, and when they're playing in a football arena. Can't even imagine what it's like actually playing in these situations, but. They won't even let us on the court yet because I think Villanova's practicing right now, and then after that I think we can have some access near the court. But even just kind of walking past and looking down the tunnel, it just looks so weird. Just like a giant stage propped up with a basketball court on the top. Yeah, I never – I mean, I understand why the NCAA plays in these venues because you can obviously sell more tickets and make more and more, more money. But it just seems such so counterproductive to the whole thing. You know, you play an NFL season, you're playing in regular, you know, 65 to 80,000 seed arenas, and now you go from 20 to 60. Half the media seats, and be prepared for this, Kev, uh, are, are in the rafters so far you can't even watch the game. Yeah, I think it's um, first come, first serve for the media, so I'm planning on getting here like at 8 a.m. tomorrow to, to scout out a good seat. And I, I don't think they're actually too bad this year, I think. But looking on the uh, seating map, they looked okay, and then I'm sure when I get to the seat, they'll be in the nosebleeds. But, yeah, it, it is kind of awkward, but 
uh, like I said, still a couple more practices for, for all the teams here, and uh, and then it's uh, showtime Saturday night. All right, Kevin. We'll check in again with you tomorrow for a little bit uh, more extended conversation cool. leading up to the game, uh, but it should be a good one. Michigan's been a really fun team yeah. to watch here in March, too, so uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to this game on Saturday. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for having me. We'll uh, we'll talk more tomorrow. All right, Kevin Powell in San Antonio. Uh, and, and a quick note on that. I, yeah. I The NCAA, to their credit, though, at least got rid of having the uh, the regionals in football stadiums. That's true. That, that 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 bothered me. I don't like it being in a in a giant football stadium, but I understand it in the Final Four. They're going to sell it out. They're mm-hmm. going to make a lot more money. It actually kind of looks cool on TV with it being in, in you know this huge stage. I think it adds a little bit uh, to to the uh, experience. Having sat in the stands. At the Final Four a couple of years ago when Wisconsin beat undefeated Kentucky. Felt like I was a little far away from the court. <laughs> the way the game went, I got over that very quickly and mm-hmm. enjoyed myself. Yeah, I'm but sure you did. But ha- had it been a... Uh, well, for instance, Michigan State was playing Duke in the game before that. And you're sitting there and it's just like... You know, you're not as into it, obviously. No. And, and you're just like, yeah, this is far. But... Um, they at least got rid of it at the regional level because for those games, half the stadium would be empty. Right. And now you just have this big empty stadium. And it's like, come on. So at least they went back to the... I mean, Illinois won their regional at Allstate Arena, yeah. which sounds crazy now, but it, it actually sounds really crazy. They even had a regional at Allstate Arena. The place is a dump. But, <laughs> They've had a few. <laughs> but it was uh, it was an awesome atmosphere for that game against Arizona. Yeah, I mean, I still the the thing that that bothers me the most about it, I, I think, is what you guys were talking about with the, just the the shooting backgrounds and how different you know with a raised court and uh, just just all that goes into that whole preparation thing for for a game. It seems like it needs to change, and you don't uh, coaches are creatures of habit. You don't want to change, you know, what you were doing to get to this point. You you almost have to. Stop and say, okay, we need to get shots up, and we just need to keep just get some shots. We can't work on this. We can't. Work. We need to get shots up so you guys can see what the difference is between where you were shooting at Phillips Arena, as opposed to where you're shooting at the Alamo Dome, because of that depth perception, all that darkness that goes behind the glass. I mean, there it, it's a legitimate concern for especially offensive-minded teams, you know, like the uh, like the Ramblers are. Now, again, to their credit, they do play really good defense as well, and to the fact is, it is the same for both teams. The other thing that they do so well, and it has shown up in the tournament so far over and over again, is they pass so well and they get to the bucket. Oh, yeah. I and mean, they're not relying. They have three-point shooters, mm-hmm. but they're not. But why do you think, what was it that they started the game 13 for 13 the yeah. other day? Second half, yeah. W- w- whatever it was, the re- it did in the second half two rounds ago, and then they started the game against Kansas State right. in a similar fashion. Right. Whatever it is, because most of those were high-percentage shots. Very a high. lot of them were layups. And so... That's one way to get rid of that problem with having to shoot from the outside and, and with the depth perception issue, just get to the bucket. And that's what Loyola's done so well here in this tournament. We're going to take a timeout, come back. Hawk Harrelson will join us. Excited to talk to him to get the White Sox season going here. Adam Hogue, Andy Mazer on Sports Central. We have the White Sox opening day game against the Kansas City Royals pregame 240 on WGN Radio. First pitch with Ed and DJ at 315. We'll be right back on Sports Central. What? Um. Yes! What? Um. Now! What? Let me think, let me think. Ooh. Yeah! Good talk, Coach. Thanks. Maybe we should stick the radio. He's got a point. <laughs> Chicago Sports Conversation. This is Sports Central with Adam Hogue. 
Adam Hogue, Andy Mazur here with you. It's opening day. We are so excited on WGN Radio to have the first regular season White Sox broadcast. Sox and Royals, 315 first pitch. And you'll hear the game right here on 720 WGN. But it's not opening day without Ken the Hawk Harrelson. And we definitely wanted to bring him on the show today because, uh, again, you you just got to have Hawk on opening day. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Hawk. My pleasure, Adam. Well, so it's, uh, I'll admit, uh, I I mean, I grew up watching White Sox games with you on the broadcast. And so uh, it's weird for us Sox fans to not have you calling the opening day broadcast. It must be weird for you, too. Well, there's uh, two sides of the page. One side of the page, there's certainly mixed emotions. There's no question uh, about that after missing, you know, after being all of, and not missing any of these games all these years. But on the other side of the page, my daughter and the two grandsons, they're coming in uh, tonight. So that sort of takes all the remorse out of it because I'll be <laughs> happy to see them. Hey, Hawk, it's Andy here. Uh, great to talk to you. Uh, I'm just curious. I mean, you've been around the game for a while. Any uh, opening day memories stick out for you as a, as a player or as a broadcaster? Oh, yeah, a lot. You know, that's, that's just such a special day for every athlete in any sport opening day first game and you know you something you uh where you really feel it is when you in baseball is when you break spring training and head north and the first the first time that happens it's just something you'll never forget because of the fact that you are going north with a major league baseball team and you're going to be playing major league baseball and you know you've worked your ass off for that uh, your whole life uh and you finally got there. And and then, you know, I've had the same kind of relationship with baseball uh, as a player and then as a broadcaster. And it's been about the same because I've always taken broadcasting the same way that I I played. I played, you know, I worked hard, uh, did my homework, so to speak, uh, and got in great shape. And the same thing holds true for broadcasting. You know, with all the partners I've ever had, every time I've had a new partner, I've always told them it's no different than playing. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be ready. And it's not going to be you. You're going to be using it all. But if you need it, it's there. And uh, I've been blessed with uh, some good teams and good partners. And all this is uh, just, uh, it's been a wonderful ride. There's no question about that. Hawk, did the along those lines, did the butterfly still carry with you as a broadcaster as it did with the players? Because you talk to most players and they say opening day is the one day where you do get a little bit nervous. Then you settle into the season and it's a long grind. But the opening day is the one day where you do kind of have that extra excitement. Did that carry with you as a broadcaster as well? You know, I've never walked into a broadcast booth and what is this, my 43rd year altogether, broadcast, 42nd year broadcasting. I've never walked into the booth and I didn't have butterflies. I mean, as I said, it's just like playing. It's, 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 uh, every day I look at it, you, one of the most important times of the day for a player or a broadcaster is when they get in that car and they leave to go to the ballpark. That's when you get your whole thing set, the mindset. You know who you're playing, you know who's pitching for them, you know who's pitching for us. You got a good idea about what, uh, how our club is going. You got a good idea about the you know, the tenor, so to speak, or the uh, the atmosphere in the clubhouse. And I'll tell you, this is this has got to be something that's going on here in Chicago now that we haven't had, certainly in my lifetime. This has got a chance to be, in my opinion, 
the greatest eight or ten years of baseball in Chicago history. Both teams are going to be good. I mean, there's no question about that. And the Cubs aren't going anywhere. They've got good management. They've got a great manager. They've got great talent. We've got good management. We've got a great manager. And we've got great talent. I mean, so it's going to be, in my opinion, the best time. And certainly, in the next eight to ten years, there is a great chance we're going to have a cross-town World Series. That would be impressive. I mean, that would be. That, I mean, could the city handle that? First of all, I <laughs> <laughs> see our fans; they can handle anything. I tell you, bring it on! I tell you, bring it on! We can handle anything, and and, and I really believe that. I, I believe that. Uh, in fact, I think there's going to be a chance to be me a couple of Crosstown World Series in the next decade. So I'm. I told Jason, you know, Benetti, who's going to be a terrific announcer. I told him, I said, you're coming in at a great time. You're coming in with a team that's going to be uh, a monster. Uh, you're coming in with a team, with a team that's uh, one of the best uh, organizations in sports, period, not just baseball. And you're coming in with a cross-town rival that they are formidable. There's no question about it. And that's why it's going to be a lot of fun. Hawk, how much have you enjoyed following? You know, a lot of these years that you that you've been doing this, there really wasn't much of a White Sox farm system. There'd be a couple guys here and there that would create some excitement, and but this depth that they have—I mean, we're talking ten to twenty legitimate prospects. Uh, it, it's just a different era of White Sox baseball. How much have you enjoyed following that uh, when it really hasn't been the case for so long? It's been the best by far, by far, not even close of young talent in our organization we have now than we've ever had. Uh, When I first got here, the the farm system was almost depleted. There there were no prospects down there. I think in one year, I think one guy in our whole farm system had double-digit home runs, and I think that was 11 or 12. (laughs) So there wasn't a whole bunch of talent down there. And uh, Kenny and, and Rick have done such a job here. It, it's, it's just been phenomenal. I mean, it's been the best redo of a ball club I've ever seen. And I can't. I've been trying to think of the next best redo I've ever seen. And I, I had to put the Cubs uh, up in that thing and redoing their their uh, their organization, too. Uh, so you got to respect those guys. I don't respect the ballpark, but you got to respect the team. And uh, it's going to be fun watching because with the talent we've got, I don't know how long it's going to take. A lot of people saying, you know, two years, maybe even sooner. I, I think it's going to be closer to three years because you got to let these guys grow. And a lot of those 20, 25 guys that you're talking about now, and we got more coming outside of that because of the draft. But uh, all of them are not going to make it. You're going to have some that do and some that are absolutely marvelous talents and going to be marvelous major league players. And once they once they strike out enough, then all of a sudden they're not going to be striking out as much. And once these pitchers go out there and they get hit hard enough, all of a sudden they're going to go out there and they're not going to be getting hit hard. And that's what they call experience. And, of course, you got to get it because experience is something you've got when you didn't want to get it. 
Kind of along those lines, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the fact that some of these guys came up uh, toward the end of last year, and there really wasn't a whole lot of pressure other than the fact that you know they're, they're in the big leagues now, obviously not in AAA or AA. Uh, how important is it for those guys to kind of get off to a, a good start so they don't lose kind of the momentum that they created toward the end of last year, or is that even a thing? Oh, yeah, well, this is where the managing comes in, and we've got two of the best in the business in, in Chicago. Rick Renteria is the perfect guy to be handling this talent. Joe Madden was the perfect guy uh, to come in, and, and Joe had done a lot of good things down in Tampa Bay and handle that young talent there. And we were so fortunate that they saw fit to hire, you know, Joe, because all of a sudden now that left Rick available to us, which they took. And now, as I said, these are two of the best in the business. And managing today is harder than it's ever been. There's no quite everything in baseball today is harder than it's ever been, with the exception of one position, and that position being the owner, because these guys are making a lot of money. MLB Network has just been a cash cow to everybody in, in Major League Baseball, so we're we're positioned to be really good for a long time, as are the Cubs. Hey Hawk, I've had a lot of fans ask me. What your what exactly your plan is for this season in terms of the games you're going to be calling and even beyond that, what your role is going to be with the team? Uh, can you kind of just take us through that? Sure. Well, the games I'm going to be doing, obviously, I'll be doing all the uh, Sunday home games, and I'll be doing the three Cub games in September. Those will be my last three games that uh, that I do. Uh, but I'll be watching. I'm, you know, these iPads, I am not tech savvy. In fact, I'm tech <laughs> illiterate. You know, but these iPads are phenomenal. You know, MLB, the app there, if you can watch anything you want to watch anytime you want to watch it in baseball. I'm going to be watching every day. You know, I can take it with me if I'm going to be, not be working that uh, that day. I can take it out on a golf course with me, and I can watch it out there. And I can uh, at night, I can watch it when I go home. So I'm going to be watching every game, almost every game, that's played this year. And then... When the season's over and going into the next year, uh, you know, I'll be still at the ballpark a lot because I'll be doing some ambassador work, you know, some meet and greets and, and that, taking pictures and signing autographs and stuff. And then uh, come January 1st of 2020, that will put me in that uh, exclusive club where not too many guys are in to been in professional baseball all the parts of eight decades. And a friend of mine and I were texting back and forth the other day, and he said, you know what, why don't we try to make it nine decades? (laughs) (laughs) I've got, right now, you know, my golf game sucks. I used to be a decent (laughs) player now. (laughs) You know, I got, uh, you know, bad risks because of too many strikeouts, too many fat sandwiches in my life. And my knee is starting to bother me. But, you know, I hope I can have bad wrist and bad knee for another, you know, 10 or 15 years. Hey, Hawk, what was your reaction to uh, seeing the media guide for the White Sox for the first time? It's it's all about you. I mean, what, what were your uh, first reactions? Well, I thought it was it was really nice. I thought it was a nice gesture, a nice tribute. Uh, because, you know, the White Sox have been such a huge part of my life. And that means they've been a huge part of my wife's life, who is my love of my life. We've been married almost 45 years now. And we have two wonderful children, and, you know, and three wonderful grandchildren. And the White Sox have been 
I mean, in fact, just a few minutes before you guys called, our daughter's flying down with Nico and Alexander to be with us for about eight or ten days. Of course, i got to go up uh, next uh, Tuesday. i got to go up on the third. But, you know, and even she said, how do you feel about not doing the opener? And I told her, I said, well, there's some, there's some you know, sentimental feelings there. Certainly, I said, but on the other side of the page, you guys are coming down. So I'm happy in that respect. So, you know, there's, there's always a balance somewhere if you're looking for it. And, and I, uh, I just, uh, I love the city. You know, I, I played in Boston, and I, I loved it there. But I want to say something about Chicago and the fans. Uh, it's one of those places that you can, you can town maybe, but you can't beat them. <laughs> well, Hawk, I know you're going to have a lot of people say things like this to you this season, but let me be one of the first on opening day. I'm 32 years old. I grew up with you as the voice of baseball. And that's just what it is for, for people. For Sox fans that are about my age, that's how it is. And all, all I can really say to you is, is thank you. So thank you very much, and uh, it's going to well, be a great last my season. Pleasure. Guys, it's been my pleasure. Believe me, I've enjoyed it, and I will never, ever forget it. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy what is hopefully a White Sox winner on opening day. Oh, yeah. Hey, we got the right. We yeah, we we're on the right track. Let's put it that way. Talk to you guys later. All right, take care, Ken Harrelson on Sports Central. Great to talk to him here. As now, I feel like baseball can start. Yep, we can go. Now we can get this thing going, uh, and it is going to be going here in about what forty-one minutes officially mm-hmm. with I, your pregame. I got to go get ready. I think you should go get ready. <laughs> I think that's fine. And, uh, yeah, we can hit the music and get out of here, get going with baseball. Again, the plan today, 240 on 720 WGN. You have to listen on the air. We are not right. able to stream the games. You can stream them online uh, through the MLB at Bat app. Uh, but we cannot stream them on WGNRadio.com. So, 240 pregame on 720 WGN. Andy Mazer will have that. For you, first pitch, 315. When the game ends, I'll have your post game. Take you into Blackhawks hockey. It's a busy sports day here. Very much so. On WGN. We're happy to bring it to you and can't wait to get going. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk to Kevin Powell down in San Antonio again. We'll shift the story a little bit more to Loyola and what will be a big Final Four weekend with the Ramblers. But today is about baseball. It's about the White Sox. And hopefully we'll have a White Sox winner for you against the Kansas City Royals. Talk to you tomorrow.